Welcome back to Scriptures with Mom and Terry. I'm the mom, Linda Weiniger, and we are going to be reading Judges chapter 6 and 7. And um, this is a story of Gideon. This is one of my favorite stories, so I want to make sure that we cover it. But also, the next story is about Samson. And sadly, like, I really want to cover that, but we're going to just give an overview of that. So, only because we need to actually uh, move on, because we're always behind sketch, of course. So, here we go. We're reading Judges chapter 6 and 7 and possibly 8, but we'll see when we get there. Okay, Israel is in bondage to the Midianites. An angel appears to Gideon and calls him to deliver Israel. He overthrows the altar of Baal. The spirit of the Lord rests upon him, and the Lord gives him a sign to show he is called to deliver Israel. And let's see. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because of the Midian... Flora is just feeding the floor right now. Can't even say the shoe because he's not even here. Okay, I don't even know where we are now. <laughs> okay, um, okay, we're on verse two actually. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens which are in the mountains and the caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had shown, I mean, had sown that the Midianites came up and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them and they encamped against them and destroyed the, in the increase of the earth till thou come unto Gaza and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude, for both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished impoverished, because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. These Midianites were like bullies. Um, and it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet. Okay, so remember the cycle we talked about? This, there are now pain, so now they're reaching out to the Lord. So they're being humbled. Oh, excuse me. So they're humbling themselves. Okay, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all the oppressed, all that oppressed you and drave them out from before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. So it makes sense that the Lord is like, hey, remember the things that we've done, that I've done for you, right? Like, so the prophet was trying to say like, hey, you know, thanks for calling on the Lord. But like, look, this is, this is the stuff the Lord said. And then of course you didn't obey. So now you, this is the consequence that you're experiencing. But nobody wants to be made to feel bad, right? Like, 
<laughs> Finn, every time um, we're trying to teach him a lesson, sometimes he's like, stop, mom, you're making me feel bad, right? But it's like a reminder. We need to remind you what the process was and what happened so that you can know for next time. Yes, we're making you feel bad. We have to remind you because if you don't remember the process of what happened and how you got here, you can't avoid it next time. So we're just trying to help you learn to avoid those situations. Okay, so then 11. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Oprah. And this is actually where Oprah got her name. Her mom, um, either her mom misspelled it or somebody misread it, but, um, or somebody misheard her say it. But anyway, this is where Oprah got her name. Um, and Oprah is spelled O-P-R-A-H, but this one's spelled O-P-H-R-A-H. Anyways, that's kind of fun fact. Um, and if you don't know who Oprah is, go look it up because look her up because she's amazing really awesome um she was a tv host for so long but was able to help so many people i would consider her like a tv therapist because she was able to help people process through things and anyway everybody loves oprah that okay so anyway that pertained unto joash the Abizarite and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Okay, so uh, some commentary from the redheaded hostess says, The call of Gideon, every single person who wishes to be an instrument in the hands of the Lord, can be blessed by knowing this story by heart. The Lord may put uh, put any of us in our own Gideon moments. And the more Gideons we have in these last days, the better for all of us. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Midianites, right? Because he... He just basically didn't protect them, I think. Um, the Midianites had joined the Amalekites to fight against the Israelites and were numbered like grasshoppers. <sighs> and sands of the sea. The Midianites were known for being camel-riding warriors, and Gideon will mention the exceeding number of camels multiple times. In verse 4, we see the beginning of the conquest of Israel when the Midianites and the Amalekites... Um, came up against them so we have nations combining to bring israel into captivity well it, it makes sense because they probably heard of all of their um awesome conquering and taking over lands so of course other lands would have to be like we need to combine just to make sure you know um but of course had they known that they weren't being obedient they would have just been fine coming up against them uh without any additional help because that's how the Lord works, right? If you're not being obedient, what are you going to do? Um, the Lord can't protect us when we don't keep our covenants. He is not bound um, to to do that. So anyway, so then says we have nations combining against Israel. Um, if you look deeply into these verses, we can see the kind of destruction 
these nations brought with them and the suffering Israel must have endured. When they came upon Israel like grasshoppers, they destroyed the increase of the earth and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor any of that stuff. So the Israelites were left in a terrible position. Dude, it's it would be the worst because, you know, when you grow crops, it takes a long time. And so you can't just regrow it whenever you want. You have to wait for seasons to be right. So then they could have been starving for a while. Anyways, um, in verse 2, we see that the Israelites had fled and were living in dens and caves in the mountains. So all of this together helps us see that the Israelites were in desperate position. Think about how many stories could be told. Let's see. Could be told in that single line. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, right? Verse seven, it's seven, verses 7 to 10 give us the words of the nameless prophet who proclaims to Israel all that the Lord had done for them and that the oppression they were experiencing was because of their disobedience. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great to know more about this prophet? Yes, yes, thank you. Uh, it would, but sadly, we don't have a bunch. Then an angel of the Lord came to a man named Gideon who was threshing wheat. By the wine press, threshing wheat was done by beating wheat so that the grain would separate from the straw. Typically, this was done on the threshing on a threshing floor, but there, but here it mentions that it was done by a wine press. The ancient reader would have more easily picked up on what this could mean without an explanation, but modern day readers may need a little bit of help from just Josephus. <laughs> so here's. Josephus giving us some info. Gideon, also the son of Joash, one of the principal persons of the tribe of Manasseh, brought his sheaves privately and threshed them at the winepress, for he was too fearful of their enemies to thresh them openly in the threshing floor. Oh, that makes sense now. At this time, the angel appeared to them in the shape of a young man and told him that he was a happy man and beloved of God, to which he immediately replied, a mighty indication of God's favor to me that I am forced to use this wine press instead of a threshing floor. But the angel exhorted him to be of good courage and to make an attempt for the recovery of their liberty. He answered that it was impossible for him to recover it because the tribe to the which he belonged was by no means numerous and because he was but young himself and too inconsiderable to think of such great actions. But the God, but the angel promised him that God would supply what he was defective in and would afford the Israelites victory under the, his conduct. Okay, that was Josephus, Antiquities of the Jews, Book Five, Chapter Six. Okay, and then, so this is so this is where we're introducing Gideon, and he is awesome because he, and I can relate because he feels small, right? And I feel like that's kind of been a pattern with the prophets you know Moses didn't really feel like he could be a prophet but like I feel like Moses was a little different because he was already a leader anyway he just didn't know how to lead people to Christ which I could totally understand that um and so like Moses almost doesn't even count as be feeling as inadequate as I do sometimes because he was already like a prince of Egypt, you know, like he had experience and stuff like that. So, so this Gideon person though, I feel like, okay, maybe Gideon, I could relate to a, a little bit more than Moses. And 
Um, cause we don't even really know a bunch of stuff from Gideon, except that like he was hanging out and then all of a sudden, um, yeah, all of a sudden he was just like getting this vision from an angel. So, um, you know, he's just hanging out and threshing, doing his chores, right? Doing his chores. Okay. So here's. So verse 13 in Judges chapter 6. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles, which, excuse me, which our fathers told us of saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Well, see, this is their attitude, right? They think that the Lord both blesses and curses people. And while he could do that, the cursing just happens naturally on our own because of our choices or lack thereof. Um, okay, so then at 14, and the Lord looked upon him and said, go in this thy might and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, oh, my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. So it's so interesting that he's just like, What? I'm a poor guy. Are you kidding? I can't beat anybody up. I can't win battles. That's not who I am. You found me, you know, in the middle of the wheat field, and that's what I do. I... I'm more of a farmer kind of a guy than, you know, and who knows, maybe he wasn't a farmer, but I'm just, just saying, like, that's what he was doing. And so see how I think, I feel like I could relate more to Gideon than to Moses. And um, especially because he's like, wait, um, but how am I supposed to do this? Wherewith shall I save Israel? Like, how am I supposed to do that? Yeah, he was saying, um, my family is poor and I am the least in my father's house, right? So he was poor and his dad didn't even give him anything. And I don't know if that's like some kind of a symbolic thing, like my father's house, like the you know like heavenly father or if he's talking about like my own father's house he's the least right so um because you know there's a ranking in in families so he was probably just taking his ranking from his family and i think this would be applicable like if you're trying to create something oh excuse me like a course or you know since that's what i've been doing so that's what i'm thinking of or you're trying to create some kind of presence or you're trying to create some kind of influence, anything, you know, it's always like about the views and about the, like on social media, it's all about the views and the follows and the subscribes and, and the followers and all these things, right? And you could easily place this scripture like that. I'm the least in my fill in the blank. I'm the least in my followers on YouTube. I am the least in my followers on Instagram. I am the least in and everything, all of the above, right? I am the least. And so, um, and the boys right now, they're trying to start up their, well, I guess they've already started their channels, their YouTube channels, but they're, you know, they're trying to actively get subscribers and things. And 
you know, without actually having them create all kinds of social media accounts and all that stuff. They're just going straight just from YouTube, trying to be consistent. And so, yeah, that would apply to them, too. I they'd probably say I'm the least in my YouTube channels, you know. So anyway, so that's definitely something where I can relate to Gideon, right, where the Lord's calling you to do something and the Lord's calling me to do something. And I'm like, oh, I'm the least on Instagram. I'm the least, you know, and I don't want more reasons to get on there either. You know what I mean? Because let me tell you. Okay, so anyway, um, some more commentary. It says the angel call is calling Gideon to deliver Israel. And the angel knows more about Gideon than Gideon knows about himself. The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. I love that they he, they were able to describe Gideon like this. Um, and that must have been like really, really awesome for him to hear from the, from an angel. Cause right. Who gets his info from uh, an angel gets his info from where? So this must've seemed or seemed an unbelievable thing to Gideon for he replied, Oh my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Or in other words, how then Gideon lists the one, the thing the one thing that immediately stands out to them or the one thing that immediately stands out to him behold my family is a poor is poor in Manasseh and I am the least of my father's house meaning he was either the youngest or saw himself as the least qualified so Gideon has a good has good reasons why this assignment is much too big for him Gideon is not yet Gideon did not yet have understanding of how he could become uh, one, the kind of service he could give. And, you know, that's one of my affirmations is, well, similar to that, where it's like, I have something to share in my own unique way, in the way that only I can deliver it, you know, and it's true. Um, And so... I think he didn't know that yet, right? So it says here in Elder Dieter F. Uchtdorf, October 2015, he says, God will take you as you are at this very moment and begin to walk with you. All you need is a willing heart and a desire to become and to believe and to trust the Lord. Gideon saw himself as a poor farmer, the least of his father's house, but God saw him, so he was a farmer? saw him as a mighty man of valor and I love that like I feel like we need to put that on a shirt my dear brothers and sisters if we look at ourselves only through our mortal eyes we may not see ourselves as good enough and I just love those prophets and apostles just like telling that to us every time just trying to help us remember that we are so much more. And so the answer given to Gideon is the same as was given to Enoch and Moses when they felt unqualified for what they were being called. Even And even Joshua, you know, he said, surely I will be with thee. And we need to remember that. Okay, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to print that. I feel like I need that. Surely I will be with thee. Okay. 
Okay, verse 17. And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee and bring forth my present and set it before thee. And he said, I will tarry until thou come again. And Gideon went in and made ready a kid and an un and unleavened cakes of an epat epat epa epa of flour and the flesh he put in the basket and he put the broth in a pot and brought it out unto him under the oak and presented it and the angel of god said unto him take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour them out the broth and pour out the broth and he did so then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that it was in his that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes and there rose up a fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, "Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face." And the Lord saith unto him, "Peace be unto thee." Fear not, thou shalt not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day it is yet in Oprah of the Abyssalites. And it came to... Hold on, we're on verse 25 now. Reading some other commentary. We will see that Gideon was terrified of this, this assignment. Think of it. He was being told to deliver Israel... From the numberless army that had come in and des- and desolated the land. Imagine if that were you. <laughs> Imagine if you were living in fear because of an enormous army upon your land. And you were forced to live in hiding and prepare your food in hiding. This was Gideon's life. Now you are being told that you will deliver Israel from this for- formidable army. Can you imagine how he might have felt? You know, I can't. That would seem so overwhelming. Josephus had mentioned in the quote previous page on the quote in the quote on the previous page that the angel appeared in the shape of a young man. If that is true, that may be the reason that Gideon then asked for a sign to know that this was truly God's will. Just like flies. I should let you know. I'm outside and at a parking lot because I needed time to get away so that I could do some reading. And I was going to do my work, but then I was like, I haven't read yet, so I need to read first. Because it's Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. And I am really needing all those things so <laughs> to be added unto me. So I am reading first. And for the record, I tried to play the Book of Mormon earlier while I was getting ready and for some reason I kept getting an error and you know sometimes when you really need some self-care from the Book of Mormon Satan's going to take over your your device and you're not going to be able to access what you need but that doesn't mean you can't keep trying and so I'm so grateful that I took this time to come out here and take this time to just be out and recenter myself because I woke up late and I couldn't go to the temple because I went to bed late 
but like really late you know like 2 30 in the morning late and I don't know um sometimes you just need that like I've been going to the temple every day because it's so good to center myself and just get the strength that I need at the beginning of the day and I really don't like going in the afternoon or in later in the day or whatever there's just it's just too time consuming and I know all my peeps who love the temple who are so far away from temples can't even fathom the fact that I wouldn't go later <laughs> just because it takes a little longer but it's because it takes time away and it's already really hard to get away so I literally am just escaping for 30 minutes so I can read this and then I keep falling asleep too so of course it's worse because <laughs> I fall asleep everywhere poor Fausti had to ask me the other day he thought that I thought he was boring or that playing with him was boring because I fall asleep every time he wants me to play Legos and I really want to play Legos with him because I know it's so important but I literally fall asleep two seconds in and it's so sad it's because my body just feels that it's staying still oh you're not doing anything I, I guess you better take a nap anyway it's so frustrating but i mean even when i'm driving um i fall asleep and so i had to explain to him i'm like i'm like sweet look it's not you it's me <laughs> because i fall asleep no matter what i do if i'm staying still not because i don't love you or i don't like playing legos with you or because i think it's boring but because because it's important to me of course the adversary makes it so that I fall asleep more. And I don't know what they're doing on the other side. Singing lullabies or something. Who knows? And and the fact that like I, I love watching movies. I fall asleep watching movies. I love hanging out with dad and I'll fall asleep hanging out with dad. I love playing board games and I fall asleep playing board games. I love I don't necessarily love driving, but I do love getting to where I'm going alive and and I fall asleep doing that, you know? And so many things I fall asleep at and it's not because I don't love what I'm doing or think it's boring. But it's just the way my body is it, the way my body is I guess I didn't used to fall asleep all the time I actually used to love playing Barbies and I'd fall asleep doing that too so you know so many so many things and I think that helped him feel a little bit better that you know that I couldn't play um, without falling asleep because I literally fall asleep everywhere I've fallen asleep at the dinner table while eating and dad knows that <laughs> So, anyways, um, okay, let's see. Um, so, oh yeah, so Gideon was asking for a sign to know that this was truly God's will. Gideon then went and made food and brought it out. The angel told Gideon to take the food, put it in the in on a rock, and pour out the broth. Pour out the broth, and Gideon did 
The angel then took the staff in his hand and touched the food, and there arose a fire in the rock. Many scholars suggest that the angel took the food that was being offered for a meal and turned it into an offering or sacrifice, which made, which may be why Gideon then built an altar there unto the Lord. Well, that totally makes sense. Um, because that's what they used to do back then. Okay, 25. And it came to pass that, and it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock, and seven years old and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath and cut down the grove, the grove that is by it and build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place and take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him and so it was because he feared his father's household and the men of that city that he could not do it by day that he did it by night <laughs> so Gideon destroys the altar and the grove by night this kind of um reminds me of the time when Madison my friend and I went at night to take to move la bolita she used to live la bolita olguita uh, Grandpa Papito's mom. She used to live in Salt Lake City, and we would get to go visit her and everything. But she was getting to the point where she was really old and getting and going to the hospital a lot because she was malnourished and was not eating and drinking. And so they would, the reports would come back, and they would tell me, like her ward would tell me, and they'd say, "Well, she is very dehydrated. She's malnourished. She didn't look that good. In fact, I thought she was going to pass away soon." And <clears throat> This was like, uh, I can't remember, six years ago now, maybe a little bit longer. Um, anyway, and so we decided, you know, oh, and she kept missing Grandpa Papito. She was like so sad because Grandpa Papito was living in Peru. and I mean, he still is. But um, she was just so sad that he was that he wasn't with her. And that's her only son. And so and her only child. And so it makes sense that she wanted to be with him. So I and Grandpa Papito happened to not have a job or anything at that time. And so I was like, you know what, this is perfect. I'm gonna you know, have La Bolita go and live with Grandpa Papito. And so I did, and we had to move, like, La Bolita, she was already getting a little dementia, but, like, she ended up staying over and sleeping over to our house to make sure that she could stay safe. But then we literally moved all her stuff at night with a moving truck and brought it all to our house. And it was so crazy. Madison's the bestest friend for helping me do that. Anyway, like it was awesome. We had a lot of fun and a lot of shocking experiences, but it was so amazing um, that we were able to do it at night. So I get it, you know, that you got to do some things at night when people are not around. Um, because if Lawalita knew that we were going to move her, she would have wigged out. She would have taken years to try and figure out like if we could throw things away or if we could put things away or whatever. And so we threw away a lot of stuff. Anyway, so um, great experience. I still have some of her stuff because I didn't want to get rid of it because I knew she had pictures and actually I have found some. So anyway, I'll have to scan those in later. But like 
we're reading verse 28. Okay, so they did it at night. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down and the grove was cut down. And that was by it. And the sacred bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. And they said one to another, who hath done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash hath done this thing. I don't know. How did they find out? You know, like, did they have Instagram? Did Gideon post this up or something like, hey, look what we're doing. Probably not. Um, Some squealers or maybe some late night peeps uh, saw them. Then the men of the city said unto Joash, bring out thy son that he may die because he hath cast down the altar of Baal and because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. Which is so hilarious, right? Um, okay. Uh, let's see. So this is Gideon's first assignment. It will take along a lot of courage. The Israelites, including Gideon's father, were idolatrous and had built an altar for Baal. And perhaps Gideon's father had been the one who paid for the altar that was for public use. This altar represented the reason why Israel has lot had lost God's favor. So before Gideon could lead them to victory, the true issue needed to be addressed. The footnote helps explain what it means to by cutting down the grove that is by the altar grove can be translated asherah or a pole or tree representing a fertile goddess asherah was one of the great canaanite gods baal was the other one we will see what a dangerous assignment this is for gideon during the night for he could not do it by day he took then he took 10 men and they did as the lord had said they destroyed the altar and cut down the grove and built an altar unto the Lord and offered a sacrifice. He needed not to not only destroy the altar for the false gods, but to also give a true offering. Then the next morning, the men of the city arose early in the morning and they saw the altar that was cast down and they were super mad, right? And they learned that Gideon had done it and they could not comprehend what that what had been done was for their own good and they were intending to kill the very man that was going to provide their freedom isn't that so ironic that like we gotta get going but isn't it so ironic that the thing that's gonna save us we want to get rid of or the person who's gonna help us we want to get rid of like the person if if you follow someone on instagram and they're being so inspirational or they're posting up some really good things and you know they're saying good things and you know and you decide i'm gonna unfollow them you know, but like, you're like, well, that was the only bit of light you were getting, you know, that one scripture a day thing, that was the only thing you were getting. And now you're no longer going to get it like that sat, right? So they were trying to cut down, um, they were trying to cut or they were trying to kill him. So the source of who was going to deliver them, they were trying to get rid of him. So anyways, I'm driving now, but I'm just talking, but I haven't put on my seatbelt. So dad's going to be super upset with me. <laughs> Anyway, so I got to go because the piano, I'm just really close to the house anyway. But um, but Faust needs to get to piano lessons, so I'm almost to the house so we can get him to his piano. Um, and we'll continue to chat this up in a minute. Okay, we're back. We are now on Judges chapter 6, verse 31. It says, And Joash said unto all that stood against him, Will ye plead for Baal? Will ye save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death whilst it is yet morning. If he be a god, let him plead for himself, because one hath cast down his altar. Therefore, 
on that day, he called him Jerubbaal, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he hath thrown down his altar. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. But when the, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Abizar, Abiezer, Abiezer was gathered after him, and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also was gathered. Sorry. Pausing, because the video now shows that somebody entered the office. Let's see for for why. Um guessing to play some video games. Uh, 35, sorry. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also was gathered after him. And he sent messengers unto Asher and unto Zebulun and unto Naphtali. And they came up to meet him. And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel be by mine hand, as thou hast said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor. And if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon all the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. So it sounds like he was needing a sign. Ooh. Excuse me. And it was so, for he rose up early in the on the morrow, and thrust the fleece together, and wring the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. And Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece. Let it now be dry only upon the fleece, and upon all the ground. Let there be dew. And God said, did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. So, you know what's funny about this? is the fact that Gideon wanted so many signs, right? And I think sometimes, well, maybe not sometimes, but I think all the time we want a sign from the Lord, right? That he is there, that he knows us, that he loves us. And sometimes we don't notice those signs. Um, or like Gideon, sometimes we make we ask for a sign and are super specific and then we realize, wait, that sign seems really like very natural, like it, that could have happened on its own. And so then you almost like ignore that sign. You like put it to the side and you're like, well, no, that sign doesn't even count. Even though I asked for that specific sign, it doesn't really count because that could have happened by science, right? <laughs> and we think that because it's not magic or because it's not some grand thing that it's not from the Lord. And I think the Lord here, so he's not trying to, I think when I read the scriptures, I try to put myself in their shoes, you know, but also try and understand like what the Lord was trying to do here too. So I feel like Gideon, you know, maybe asked for a sign and didn't quite think about how that might also be like a natural like occurrence in nature <laughs> and so then he easily was able to do away with it and sometimes satan um does that to us too where we uh dismiss something that the lord has obviously provided in our lives and he convinces us that it was not 
the Lord, but it was something else. It was science, it was natural or, you know, nature, whatever. Um, and, and so then, you know, uh, Gideon asked for another sign. Um, but I feel like here the Lord is showing us that the Lord wants to answer Gideon's prayers, right? And yes, normally we do not tempt the Lord and tell him that he needs to give us a sign if he expects us. If he wants something from us, give us a sign. <laughs> like, I know that sometimes we might do that, but I don't think that's the idea here. I think the idea here is just like a prayer, you know, that that Gideon was offering and trying to make sure that he knew that he knew the voice of the Lord or he could identify that it was the Lord because sometimes you second guess yourself and especially when you've been asked to do like this big thing you're like are you sure I'm gonna need a sign (laughs) but like you don't really say like Lord you need to send me a sign but you ask it in a different way in in a prayer like you know, sometimes we say, um, at girls camp, we'll tell, tell the girls, okay, now go off and say a prayer and ask Heavenly Father to tell you that he loves you, you know, and, or ask him if he loves you, right? And then of course, he's going to show them a sign of that love or have them feel a sign of that love, right? And so it's not that you're, asking for signs and wonders but you're legit just asking to to see if he's there because that is just the struggle that we have every day that we forget because that's where satan's going to be at he always wants us to forget who we are and so we need to look for those um evidences for those things that reaffirm and help us remember who we are and what our purpose here on earth is and that is the main reason why I go to the temple because in the temple I can be reminded perfectly of who I am and the Lord has placed those signs in our path and if we don't go after those signs if we don't put ourselves in the place where he can deliver those signs to us then I mean what's the point you know, you we're asking for a sign and you don't go and get it kind of thing, you know? Anyway, so I really like, I really like this story of Gideon. Um, okay, there's some more commentary here. It says, Gideon's father, Joash, then stepped forward and saves Gideon in a very clever way. He suggests that Baal with, will avenge himself and that anyone who thinks that he will not must be put to death that very morning. Then the next scene is the great army that was gathered together against the Israelites and Gideon gathered an army to go against them. It would be so interesting to be able to witness this. How might Gideon, the same person who overthrew Baal's altar, gather a big enough army to go against the massive and fruitful army? What might he say to gather an army? How might the Israelites respond to him? What were those in favor of him saying? What about those who thought he was delusional? What might they have said? 
Josephus gives us the insight, which shows that there were Israelites who were ready and receptive to the call that Gideon had received. Now, therefore, as Gideon was relating the experience with the angel to some young men, they believed him and immediately there was an army of 10,000 men got ready for fighting. But God stood by Gideon in his sleep and told him that mankind were too fond of themselves and were enemies to such as excelled in virtue. Now that they might not pass God over, but ascribe the victory to him and might not fancy it obtained by their own power because they were a great army and able to able of themselves to fight their enemies, but might confess that it was owing to his assistance. He advised him to bring his army about noon in the violence of the heat to the river and to esteem those that bent down on their knees and so drank to be men of courage, but of all those that drank hastily and tumultuously that he should esteem them to do it out of fear and as a, as in dread of their enemies. Josephus Antiquities Jews book five chapter six. Um okay, I'm getting sleepy again. Now Gideon had gathered an army of thirty two thousand men, and things were now extremely serious, and the lives of all these Israelites were under his command. Gideon then asked for another sign from the Lord that he would truly save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, and the old seminary teacher Manuel explained. The difference between a situation like this where Gideon asked for a sign and another person like Korihor, for example, who demanded a sign, says there is a difference between sincerely seeking confirmation from God with real intent and demanding a sign from God without faith. The motive of the person seeking the sign from God is important. Yeah, because God's not going to provide a show. He's not an entertainer. Um, so, yeah, that makes sense. Gideon asked for a simple sign. He will leave his fleece, sheepskin, on the floor, and if in the morning dew was upon the fleece, the ground around it dry, it would be a sign. Some scholars suggest that the area had heavy morning dew. The Lord gave the sign, and the fleece carried so much dew that Gideon was able to fill a bowl full of water when he wrung it. If you look at the art of the right, that depicts a moment. Oh, okay, so... Then Gideon asked for an additional sign with the opposite results, and that sign was also given. So yeah, I think it is pretty awesome that Gideon was able to get those signs. Okay, so now we're on Judges chapter 7. Well, so Flora got to my phone and now has deleted my reading of Judges chapter 7, where I was at. <sighs> Exhausted. She's supposed to be taking a nap. Oh, man. Okay, here we go. We're going to read it again. This time I'm not reading the summary. <laughs> oh, but I need to. Okay, Gideon's army is, and I'm falling asleep. Hold on, I got to pause. Okay, Gideon's army is reduced to 300. They frighten the Midianite armies with tr trumpets and lights. The Midianites fight among themselves, flee, and are defeated by Israel. Then Jerubbaal who is Gideon and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the wall, the well of Herod so that the hosts of the Midianites were on the North side of them by the hill of Mori in the valley. 
32,000. That's how many we're starting with. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, mine own hand hath saved me. Right? Sometimes when we are, as the boys would say, or as Finn would say, stacked, right? We think that we end up being the awesome one who was able to deliver ourselves from whatever it was that we were trying to do or to do whatever it was that we were trying to do. Um, and so the Lord didn't want Israel to be like, we did amazing, you know? So he wanted to make sure that they were giving praise to the right place. Credit where credit is due. So three, verse three says, now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people saying, whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people 20 and 2,000 and there remained 10,000. So now they have 10,000. Now, it might seem kind of weird, like, oh yeah, good. You know, they were able to split them up. But I just want to add that like, just because you're afraid and fearful doesn't mean that you had to be sent home. Now, this is just me with scriptural speculation because... I feel like I'm afraid to do certain things, but I'm still willing to do them, even though I might be feeling a little bit fearful and afraid. I think sometimes we think that in because the scriptures say we're fearful and afraid or we're fearful that, you know, it's not good to feel that. But I believe a lot of prophets and apostles and exemplary people in the scriptures felt afraid a lot of the time. Um, I mean, because it's a natural thing that Satan's going to do. He's going to make us feel inadequate, make us feel afraid of doing those things that the Lord asks us to do. And so but I think there's a difference between like being fearful and afraid and not being willing to stay and uh, not have the courage to stay and fight or to stay and do the thing or to do it scared, right? Um, because I also like feel a little bit bad for those 22,000 people or yeah, 22,000 peeps that like they left and I'm like, well, like they didn't want to see the hand of the Lord, I guess, you know? I mean, it was their choice, but also like maybe they weren't all soldiers too. Maybe there were just a bunch of people that were like trying, you know, they were, he was trying to raise a lot of people, get them excited, riled up so that they could fight, but maybe not all of them were ready to fight. And so that could add to your fear. Sometimes when we're not prepared, we will fear. And sometimes, um, I think that is different than, you know, um, saying that you're fearful, afraid, and you're going to still be courageous and um, trust in God and you're going to do it scared anyway, right? Like, like, I don't necessarily think all the people that were willing to stay, all those 10,000 people were like, yeah, we're amazing or yeah, the Lord's awesome. Nobody's scared. Like, I don't, I don't think that that's the case. I think that they were just willing to stay and fight, right? Versus being scared and afraid and not willing to stand fight. Like if you had an out, like psh, they, they took it. Right. So maybe a lot of them were too young. Maybe they just hadn't been able to practice, um, fighting, but they were of age or maybe they were able. Right. 
And so I think it's okay for sometimes when, I think it's okay for both. I think sometimes we can be afraid and fearful and we can still be courageous and trust the Lord and stay, right? So you could be one of the 10,000. Or I also think it's okay to be fearful and afraid and to say, you know what, maybe not this time. I'm going to, you know, bow out, if you will. And that's okay too. Obviously, Israel as a whole still won and were able to still um, defeat the Midianites. So everybody won, right? Like everybody won. Um, but but sometimes we will have situations where we are fearful and afraid and we don't win, right? Or sometimes we'll have those situations where we're fearful, afraid, we fought anyway, and still we don't win, you know? So there's just a lot of different scenarios that could happen. And I love to just kind of speculate to see like, you know, maybe this is not so black and white because it feels like everybody who was fearful and afraid, they quit. And then everybody who else was not fearful and afraid. That's not what it says. I feel like they didn't say that the rest of them were um, completely like all in with like no fear and not afraid. I feel like people, that's a natural emotion that people have. Anyway, okay, verse four. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people are yet too many. Bring them down unto the water and I will try them for their Try them for thee there, and it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee, and whomsoever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people unto the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, every one that lappeth of the water with his tongue, as a dog lappeth, him shall thou set by himself. Likewise, every one that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were 300 men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the 300 men that lapped will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into thine hand, and let all the other people go, every man unto his place. Okay, so... Floor is crying, so let's pause. Okay, so... The 300 men stayed. Now, it would have been cool to be one of the 300 men for sure. Um, so, you know, the fact that they started with the 32,000 is crazy that they went down to 300. I don't even know what that percentage is. Less than 10%? Huh, I can't even do math. It's less than 1% of people went. So there was not even a whole percent of who started out that they ended up with. So that means it was like the Lord was taking care of them 100% because it was like they were only less than 1%. So what's le- what's less than 1%? You know, 99 point like 999, you know, percent or whatever. So I think that's awesome. The way that the Lord did that. Um, Okay, so then some commentary from Redhead Hostess. Gideon and his men were camped so that the hosts of Midianites were on the north side of them. And the Lord is now going to test Gideon's faith further. First, Gideon is to tell every soldier that if they are afraid to fight, they can return home. 22,000 men then leave. That is a mass exodus from their camp. 
um, and demonstrates how terrifying the circumstances were. Now, with 10,000 men remaining, and loyal, they must have been, or not just loyal. I feel like they were courageous, they were loyal, but you know what? I think that they could have still been fearful and afraid, but they were willing to fight and wanting to trust the Lord, right? The Lord declared that those people are yet too many. So Gideon was to bring them down to the water and put the men into the into two groups and those that putting their hand down in the stream and bringing it to the, the water to their mouth, those who knelt down to drink directly from the stream. Some scholars suggest that the phrase, as a dog lappeth, comes from how Egyptian dogs would drink from the Nile. Fear of crocodiles would cause them to drink quickly or even while running along the bank. Only 300 men put their hand in the water, into the water, no, hand to their mouth while 9,700 of them drank directly from the stream. Then the Lord chose a smaller group and said, by the 300 men that lapped, will I save you? Imagine how much faith it must have been, it must have taken to only keep 300 soldiers. And imagine what the soldiers must have been thinking. They must have been like, this is the dumbest idea y'all have ever had. Notice what President Nelson says about the Lord and how he works. Okay, um, he says, the Lord has often chosen to instruct his people in their times of trial. Scriptures show that some of his lasting lessons have been taught with examples terrible as war, commonplace as childbearing, and obvious as hazards of deep water. His teachings are frequently based on common understanding, but with uncommon results. Indeed, one might say that to teach his gospel, the Lord employs the unlikely. I love that. Warfare, for example, has been known since time began. Even in that ugly circumstance, the Lord has helped those obedient to his counsel going into battle. All would assume the obvious advantage of outnumbering an enemy. But when God's disciple Gideon was leading an army against the Midianites, the Lord said unto Gideon, the people that are with thee are too many, lest Israel vaunt themselves, saying, mine own hand has saved me. Okay, so end quote. President Nelson, Russell M. Nelson, April 1988, General Conference. Oh, excuse me. Okay, so now we're reading Judges 8. So the people took victuals in their hand and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man unto his tent, and retained those 300 men and hosts of Midian was... What do we have here, a little marble? And hosts of Midian, and the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. Hey, let me see it, miss. Oh boy. I'm hoping she didn't tear apart something over there. Okay. Um and let's see, verse nine, and it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. But if thou fear to go down, go with Pura, thy servant down to the host. His armor bearer. This is his armor bearer. What's up? She's trying to climb me. But I'm not going to let her climb me. What's going on, miss? Go play. Mom, 
Yeah, she's sticking her little head through my arm. What's up? You want to read with me? Okay, I let you read. Uh -huh. <laughs> Are you going to say hi? Say hello. Say hello, mom. No, don't touch it, though. Okay. Okay, it says, And thou shalt hear what they say, and afterwards shall thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the hosts. Then went he down with Pura, his servant, unto the outside of the armed men that were in the hosts. And the Midianites and Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for the mul for multitude. And their camels were without number as the sand by the seaside for multitude. No, you got to be careful. Okay, I let you down. Okay, but you guys sit right here. Okay. Okay, verse 13. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came unto a tent and smote it, that it fell and overturned it, and it that, wait, and overturned it that the tent lay along. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for unto his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the hosts. Okay, so we have some commentary here. It says, so there, was, so there Gideon was with his 300 soldiers, less than 1% of the soldiers he began with. Okay, so, you know, I did the math for you earlier. <laughs> and he was afraid. See, less than 1% of the soldiers he began with, and he was afraid. See, I t I'm telling you. It's okay to be scared, especially now that all of them are leaving and that had to leave. The Lord knew this and told Gideon of something he could do to help him gain confidence. He could take Pura, his armor bearer, and go down into the enemy's camp. Something will happen there that will help him gain strength. No, miss, I can't have you play with the remote. Okay, fine. You can play with it for a little bit. Because this one, here, here, here. But be very gentle. I don't think she knows what that means. Okay. <laughs> so Josephus explains what happened when Gideon went down. I better keep an eye on seeing where she's putting the remote. Uh, went, went down. Okay. But Gideon was in great fear for God had told him beforehand that he should set upon his enemies in the nighttime. But God being willing to free him from his fear, bid him take one of his soldiers and go near to the Midianites tents for that he should from that very place have his courage raised and grow bold. So he obeyed and went and took his servant Pura with him. And as he came near... To one of the tents, he discovered that those that were in, those that were in it were awake, and that one of them was telling to his fellow soldier a dream of his own, and that so plainly that Gideon could hear him. The dream was this: he thought he saw a barley cake, such as one as could hold barley, be eaten by men. It was so vile, rolling through the camp and overthrowing the royal tent, that the tents of all the soldiers, wait, 
and the tents of all the soldiers. Now the other soldier explained this vision to mean the destruction of the army. That the seed called barley was and was all of it allowed to be of the vilest sort of seed. And now and that thou no. And that the Israelites were known to be the vilest of all the people of Asia agreeably to the seed of barley. And that was Josephus Antiquities of the Jews, book five, chapter six. As so as Gideon overheard the Midianite soldiers talking, he learned how scared they were of Gideon, who had who had risen as the leader of the Israelite army. That realization emboldened Gideon, and we will see that the fear the army felt will be the very weapon that will destroy them. Oh, man. Okay, so now we're on verse 14. Okay, it says, Gideon gains courage. So we're on Judges chapter 7, verse 15. <clears throat> oh. Yeah. And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof that he worshiped and returned into the hosts of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into the, your hand the, most, the hosts of Midian. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps with the pitchers. And he said unto them, look on me and do likewise. I'm like, okay, I'll give you the sign, right? And that's when you're going to do the same thing that I'm doing. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. When I blow with the trumpet, I and all, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Okay. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And they had but newly set the watch and they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. And 300, wait, and the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow withal. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gibeon and of Gideon. <laughs> A little bit dyslexic there. And they stood every man in his place around about the camp. Round about the camp and all the hosts ran and cried and fled. And the 300 blew the trumpets and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the hosts. And the hosts fled to Bethshida in Zerath and to the border of Abel-Mela unto Tabath. And the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali and out of Asher and out of Manasseh and pursued after the Midianites. And Gideon sent messengers throughout all Mount Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and take before them the waters unto 
Bethbara, and Jordan. And then all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and took the waters unto Bethbara and Jordan. And they took two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb, and they slew Oreb upon the rock. Oreb and Zeb, they slew at the winepress uh, of Zeb and pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of Jordan. Okay, so that was Judges chapter 7. Okay, so we're just going to finish up some commentary. It says, Gideon now emboldened went back to his army and gave them a battle plan that was to be put into action that night. He divided them into three companies so they could surround the camp. Then each of the 300 men received a trumpet on an empty pitcher and an oil lamp. These were the weapons that we going that were going to lead them to victory. In a battle, not every soldier would have a trumpet. A or a curved ram horn, but would generally be held by the leader of a company. So to hear 300 trumpets blown would naturally cause the enemy to think they were being attacked by 300 companies. Gideon's small army then went and did just as Gideon directed. Without faith, this would have felt like foolishness, for their tiny numbers were going to be were going to the enemy's doorstep. Every footstep would have required faith, and all 300 of them pressed forward and arrived at the camp. They had lamps, but they were hidden in their pitchers, so watchmen would not see them arriving. They Then suddenly, at the signal, they broke their pitchers and sounded their trumpets. Imagine being the soldiers fast asleep and being awakened by yells, broken pitchers, trumpets, and seeing lights surrounding your camp. In the frightened condition, they set every man's sword against his fellow. That is so funny. And... Like, yeah. Now, okay, so here's what Joseph has said. He said, now when the Hebrews did as they were ordered before beforehand upon their approach to their enemies and on the signal given, sud- sounded with their ram horns and break their pitchers and set uh, upon their enemies with their lamps and a great shout and cried victory to Gideon by God's assistance, a dis- disorder and a fright seized on the other men while they were half asleep for it was nighttime as god would have it so that a few of them were slain by their own by their enemies but the greatest part of their own soldiers on, a, on account of the diversity of their language when they were once put into disorder they killed all that they met with as thinking them to be enemies also that'd be rough then other Israelites joined the fight and they pursued the Midianites. And Gideon sent messengers to the Ephraimites to tell them to secure the waters where the Midianites would have to cross. So Gideon now had now done what he was called to do and what had seemed an impossible task. In a short period of time, Gideon had gone from saying that he was not capable of the task, see Judges 6.15, to delivering Israel with an army of 300 men. What can we learn from this? How can this help us fulfill the tasks the Lord gives us? President Faust taught, the Lord has a great work for each of us to do. You may wonder how this can be. Always. I always wonder that. You may feel that there is nothing special or superior about you or your ability 
Perhaps you feel or have been told that you are stupid. Many of us have felt that and some of us have been told that. Gideon felt this when the Lord asked him to save Israel from the Midianites. Gideon, Gideon said, my family is poor and in the house, my family is poor in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. I had only 300 men, but with the help of the Lord, Gideon defeated the armies of the Midianites. The Lord can do remarkable miracles with a person of ordinary ability who is humble, faithful, and diligent in serving the Lord and seeks to improve himself or herself. This is because God is the ultimate source of power. End quote. President James E. Faust, October 1995 General Conference. I love that so much. Thank you, President Faust, for sharing this with us. Okay, I am going to be done with Gideon and the Midianites for now. Um, there's actually so much that I'm going to skip over. Like, Gideon refuses to be king. Um, this is down later on in time because, you know, they were being obedient and then the Israelites decide they're not going to be obedient anymore. It's kind of like a pattern that they've been seeing. Um, Gideon refuses to be king. This is in Judges chapter 8. Um, but he does show that he has noble and wise character now. Like, remember, because he was he didn't know about what the Lord could do in his life. And now he's growing older and wiser. And now he has a little bit more confidence, right? But, uh, but he still refuses to be king. Um, and, <clears throat> but it must've been like such an honor to, to have that offered to him. Right. Um, okay. And he just like, this is just one of the scriptures. He says, I will not rule over you. Neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. So he knew where to give the credit and he knew that Kings would not be good. Um, but nevertheless, they of course wanted, wanted that. Um, then it says that Gideon then lived in the, in a peaceful land for 40 years. Um, and he had a large family. So anyways, I love that. Um, and it says that he had in verse 30 on Judges chapter, it says that Gideon had 70 sons and one of them was named Abimelech who was born to a concubine. Um, after Gideon dies, Abimelech who, who lived in Shechem devised a plan to kill his brothers and became the king in Shechem. So sad that his brother that one of his sons was wicked um and then only one brother escaped the youngest brother named jo jotham and abimelech's tragic story is told in judges chapter 9 um and then of course as soon as gideon dies the children of israel turn again and went back to balaam and and you know had false gods again so that's really sad but it seems like that's what like the the pattern is right um and then in J judges chapter 13 um uh the israelites are embracing idolatry again and they're going to experience some more captivity because that's how it works tree, okay um, and then just like this, uh, real quick thing says, 
says that the children of Israel, this is Judges chapter 13. We're just, I'm not reading it. I'm just kind of giving you an overview because we're going to be skipping it. Um, but it says the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years, right? So now the Lord did not protect them against the Philistines. Um, so of course, um, the Philistines were people who migrated from Greece or Southern Europe to, to Canaan during a time the cities were collapsing. The Philistine exists. Philistines existed for around 600 years. Ultimately, Assyria and Babylon were defeated. Oh, will defeat the Philistines and remaining Philistines become a part of the Persian Empire and became as the Persians or be, and become as the Persians. The Israelites and Philistines had many religious, religious and cultural differences and they wanted the same territory. This led to many battles during much of the Old Testament time period when Moses originally sent in spies to look over the promised land, the spies reported that the land was good, but they were scared of the Philistine people. Um, this is back in Numbers chapter 13. And fun fact, Goliath was a Philistine. Okay. So just uh, giving you that. And then um, an angel, let's see, an angel of the Lord appears unto a woman. And says to her that, behold, now thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, beware, I pray thee and drink not wine, nor strong drink and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come on his head for the child shall be a Nazarite. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So, um, I wonder who that could be. You guys who know the scriptures. Um, anyways, pretty awesome. Um, okay, then it's down the road. I guess, um, the... The guy, the husband or of this woman who was um, not fertile, right? She struggled with infertility. A lot of infertility stories here in the scriptures is kind of interesting. Also, a little bit helps me feel like I'm not alone in my struggles, right? Um, but anyway, the Lord or the angel told her that she was going to have a baby and that this child was born and his name was... Samson. And as the child grew, the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to move him at times. Um, and we will see that if this boy remains true to the Nazarite vow, he will be protected. If not, he will suffer, especially because he will be a great target of his enemies. So when we are real, like trying really hard, and being obedient, we will be protected. And when we're not, we can't be. Okay, and his dad was named Manoah. And, um, anyway, some of Samson's story is that, um, 
Samson. Uh, in Judges chapter 14, he's now of age to marry, and he has found a woman that he has fallen in love with, a Philistine woman. Samson announces to his parents that he wishes to marry her, and his parents express concern and ask, is there never a woman among the daughters of, the brethren, of thy brethren? Or among my, all my people, why can't Samson find a faithful Israelite woman? Samson was, Samson's reply was, get her for me, for she pleases, pleaseth me well. His focus was on his desires at the moment, and those unfettered desires will bring sorrow. Um, yeah, that's what happens. Hold on, let me help Flores. Okay, there's a quote from President George Q. Cannon. I mean, just kidding. Sister Anne M. Dibb, there were two two of them here. It says, as Samson grew, he looked more to the world's temptations than to God's direction. He made choices because they pleaseth him well, rather than because those choices were right. Repeatedly, the scriptures use the phrase, and he went down. As they tell of Samson's journeys, actions, and choices, instead of arising and shining forth to fulfill his great power, his great potential, Samson was overcome by the world, lost his God-given power, and died a tragic early death. Sister Anne M. Dibb, April 2000 General Conference, or 2012 General Conference. And then President George Q. Cannon says, You remember Samson, a mighty man in some respects, a man whom God raised up to redeem his people, but he married strange women. He married a woman of the Philistines. And the result was that it brought about his destruction. So, and back in the day, remember, it's, it was really hard for them to um, marry outside the covenant and still keep their commandments, which is why they were instructed and counseled very harshly to not marry outside the covenant. But some people still wanted to do that. Um, and Samson was one of them, sadly, because he was super strong Um and I'm not going to get into his story too much because, sadly, I don't have time. And um, there's lots of lots of good stuff here, but I am so far behind, and it's really sad. Um, I fall asleep literally every five minutes, and I have to rewind this recording and start over or something and it's so frustrating that I cannot just keep reading and I don't know what it is about this but it's just such a long process anyways um there was like a riddle like you guys need to go read the story of Samson found in Judges chapter 14 through um through 16 so because it is really good um and but yeah like just sadly I won't be able to cover this but one last thing um one last quote from President Ezra Taft Benson says one good yardstick as to whether a person might be the right one for you is this in their presence do you think your noblest thoughts or do you aspire to your finest deeds do you wish you were better than you are? And I love that because when we're not thinking that, then probably not the best person to be around. Um, and that was April 1988 General Conference. Okay, so 
Um, there is some art that I want to give quotes from that I want to read because you know how much I love reading the the summary from the artist. So our commentary from the artist says, so this is from Heidi Carter. She says uh, her art is a picture of the one of Gideon's army men blowing the trumpet with a little bit of fire in the background, just to give you an idea of what was going on in the art. Okay, so it says the numbers of 32,000 versus 100,000 may have already felt an insurmountable challenge to come out victorious. And I mean, 10,000. That's what I mean. She, I think there was a typo. Um, to come out victorious. So when the Lord told Gideon to cut back his army to more, a mere 300 soldiers with the number of the opposing army staying the same. Oh, I guess the opposing army had 100,000 men. That's what it was. Um, it may have felt like an absurd request, but before these details were given to Gideon, he was given a promise by the Lord. Surely I will be with thee and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. Peace be unto thee. Fear not, thou shalt not die. An amazing promise, but that night, as only 300 soldiers were getting ready to face 100,000, what amount of faith it would have taken to blow that horn the first time. As I put myself in his shoes, I ask, do I believe the promises that the Lord has promised me? Do I have courage to take faith-filled action? What absurd things have I been asked to do? Things like callings that stretch me out of my comfort zone, motherhood, or really mortality in general. The story of Gideon will be in my gallery when I'm invited to do big things by others or big things I am prompted to do through the spirit. Oh, I love that. Um, Elder Dieter F. Uchtdorf says, Gideon saw himself as a poor farmer, the least of his father's house, but God saw him as a mighty man of valor and end quote. And I think we need to see ourselves that way as well. Elder Dieter F. Uchtdorf from October 2015 Journal Conference. And then stand in your appointed place by President Thomas S. Monson. He says, at the leader's signal, the host of Gideon did blow on the trumpets and did break their pit, the pitchers and did shout, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. The scripture records the outcome of this decisive battle. And they stood every man in his place and the victory was won. April 2003 General Conference. And I love that because we need to stand in our place because we will be victorious. I love the young women theme slash affirmations that says, I will stand as a witness of God at all times and in all places. Well, in all, sorry, I will stand as a witness of God in all times and in all things and in all places. Because when we do, we will be blessed. And if we waver or if we stand over there and stand over here and can't find our place, then we're not going to be victorious because the Lord's not going to help us. He's not going to be there uh, by our side. So anyways, um, I love the story of Gideon. I also love so many other stories. Oh, and I forgot to tell you about Samson, the story of that he ended up cutting his hair because uh, he let a lady do it. Story of Samson, Samson and Delilah and... Sadly, um, he lost his strength because he ended up losing his connection with Christ 
and he wasn't going he wasn't able to keep that connection up and so um the lord had to no longer provide him that that added help and then the last time that samson is actually able to use the lord's power was when um samson was captured and because of that woman okay Sometimes girls don't make good choices either, okay, guys? So you got to be careful because women can trap you, and you do not want that to happen. So make sure you surround yourself with good, righteous women um, who aren't trying to look to trick you and um, pull you away from those things that you know will provide that power for you or those women who keep you away from God, you know, because if they can keep you away from God, what? what for why are they trying to do that you know not cool and so um samson says like this prayer is to help him um be able to kill the philistines and he the lord provides him with strength strength one last time and he's able to pull down these pillars that end up crashing on top of all the philistines anyways he was like a super strong guy and physically and spiritually but then you know when you're no longer seeking that connection with christ he cannot give you his power uh sorry okay last quote last quote right here it says samson's hair was not the source of his strength rather it was the symbol of his covenant relationship with god who was the source of samson samson's strength some people believe that because samson um samson's hair got cut that's where his strength was but we all know that's not where your strength comes in fact a lot of us are going bald or don't have hair. Therefore, there's no way that we could have strength in our hair. But um, it was just like a symbol, right, of his relationship with God. And so, but his relationship with God was was the, the strength that he was able to receive. So anyway, um, that was from the Old Testament uh, Seminary Teacher Manual, Lesson 78, um, go read the story of Samson. It's really good, especially for my boys to help them realize that there are women out there who make bad choices. Okay. And, um, similarly, I guess I would want my daughters to hear this as well. And I say daughters because I also count my daughter-in-laws or my granddaughters, um, and see like what's up with those women like why did they need to be that way right like like don't be deceitful on purpose and maybe it was the fact that he had a lot of wives that that you know delilah was experiencing some kind of betrayal trauma who knows where she was getting her stuff and why she was feeling mean but i mean i could maybe see something like that because of all the women that samson was able to have right so like she was trying to maybe put herself above all of them. I don't know, you know. So just anyway. Okay, so thanks for showing up. I love you and we'll see you soon. Bye.